John chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. Hear the word of the Lord. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How do you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, being a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning again, and Merry Christmas again. I, uh, you know, I, I, to confess to you all, I was a little shocked whenever I read about how many churches are choosing not to have service this morning. It's like, why in the world would you not have worship service on Christmas morning? <laughs> like, what? Where are our priorities? I don't understand. Uh, what's that? Presence, yeah, that's, that's right. But, um, you know, there's, there's a greater gift that's been given that all those lesser presents have a tendency to overshadow, unfortunately. And uh, we're going to be talking about that this morning. This gift of God, which is Christ himself. Uh, before we get into it, why don't you pray with me? Ask for the Lord to bless our time, for his spirit to be with us, for the presence of God to be made known among us and for our hearts to truly receive and worship him. Father, we do thank you for Christmas morning. Lord, what a, what a joyful proclamation it is that unto us a, a Savior has been born, Christ the Lord. We don't have to come up with our own Savior. We don't have to become our own Saviors. You have provided a perfect and complete Savior for us. And Lord, you've made known to us who he is. It's Jesus Christ, the one born of a virgin in Bethlehem, crowned as king over all, who died for sinners, rose again in victory, and sits in heaven on the throne of, of God right now. Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts with a sense of wonder and joy over the reality of Christ. Please banish from our minds any distracting thoughts this morning. God, I, I pray that presents and family gatherings and food and cookies and candy and whatever else, Christmas lights and whatever else may be distracting us this morning, I pray that you would uh, wipe them from our minds and purify our hearts as we come before you, Lord. Give us hearts of true adoration and praise to Christ the King. Forgive us, Lord, for, for being distracted and allowing ourselves to, to not really take in the, the full focus of what this Advent season is supposed to be about. Lord, help us renew our devotion and attention to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, bless us unto this end. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, and please, Lord, please, above all, make the light of your face, the light of your countenance in Christ Jesus shine upon us this Christmas day. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, and we pray to you in his name, Lord. Amen. 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 Well, we've been walking through the Gospel of John uh, for a number of weeks now. This, is, this would be our 38th message in the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 4. We've been considering 
Jesus' encounter with this woman, Samaritan woman at the well. And it seemed especially appropriate to me that this Christmas morning we would focus our attention on what Jesus says to this woman of Samaria in John chapter 4, verse 10. Because in John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus speaks to us about the gift of God. He says, if you knew, woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Here in these few words, what we have in essence is the very heart of what we celebrate at Christmas. I know that for most people, the, ex the excitement of Christmas that they feel is no deeper than the wrapping paper around the presents. Full of anticipation of what might be underneath that very thin sheet of paper. And as soon as the paper's ripped open and you discover what it is, we're thankful, but very often we find ourselves disappointed. That's about as much excitement as most people get at Christmas time. You know, it's fascinating to me when I read in preparing for this message this week, I, I read that last year in the United States alone, $1.3 trillion were spent in retail stores during the Advent season, Christmas season. $1.3 trillion in retail spent last year. $15 billion of that, estimated $15 billion, was returned as unwanted gifts. <laughs> Isn't that a statement on just the, the extreme excess of our nation? That Christmas morning, we can have $15 billion worth of unwanted presents given to us. You know, the celebration of Christmas actually isn't about what anyone can buy at the store. It's not about presents. It's not about Christmas trees. It's not even about family gatherings. And, you know, Linus got it right when he was telling Charlie Brown, that Christmas is about this gift that was given to us, this gift born in Bethlehem. I can tell you what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And what does he do? He quotes from Luke chapter 2. Unto us a Savior has been born, Christ the Lord. This inestimable, inestimable gift sent to us from heaven, given by God's free and sovereign grace, A gift that each one of us is invited and urged and called upon to receive with all of our hearts. What Jesus calls in John chapter 4 verse 10, the gift of God. Well, that's what I want us to look at on this Christmas day. And uh, that gift that is itself the glory of Christmas. And the first thing to notice about what Jesus has to say about this gift in John chapter 4 verse 10 is that this gift is none other than Jesus himself. You see that in John 4, verse 10, where it's uh, Jesus speaking to this woman, speaks specifically about the gift of God. What is he referring to when he calls this, whatever this is, the gift of God? Well, it seems clear to me that in this verse, Jesus is talking about himself. You notice the connection between the first two phrases here. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. You see that these these. Phrases are, 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 are functioning parallel to one another. One is explaining the other. So the gift of God is the one who is speaking to her, and the one who is speaking to her is the gift of God. 
Even though this woman does not recognize that this one is the gift of God, it is God's gift for her standing right in front of her. Now, what does it mean for Jesus to be the gift of God? That was a question that I was thinking about this week. When Jesus says, if you had known the gift of God, you would have asked him for something and he would have given it to you. What does it mean to recognize or to know that Jesus is the gift of God? You know, actually, God has gone to great lengths to explain the fullness and the richness of that truth to us in the scriptures. And I just want to look at a few passages uh, to, to bring out the richness of Christ as the gift of God for us. First one I want to look at is in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Grant was kind of camping down in this segment, this section of scripture last night. Uh, those of you who weren't here for our Christmas uh, candle lighting service last night, you missed a great, a great time of fellowship. Make sure you're here next year. It was wonderful, if you can be. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says that this gift is the gift of full divinity joined to our humanity. You know this verse pretty well. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Right? That's clearly speaking about a human being, a child who would be born, a physical human being. And yet this son, this child who is given to us is called by some names that can only be attributed to God. So unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name, singular, which means that all these descriptions that follow are being treated as one name given to this son. A wonderful, wonderful passage. Unto us a, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he shall be called, his name shall be called, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. As I said, all of these are divine titles that can only appropriately be attributed to God. And yet here, these titles are being assigned to this child. So this child born to us, this child born for our benefit, the one given on our behalf, this child, this son, will be nothing less than God in the flesh. That's what we're learning from Isaiah 9, 6. And he's able to be called by these names because he is in himself full divinity. He is God manifest among us. And therefore, in God giving us this child, this is the point, in God giving this child to us, he was giving us the fullness of God. If you don't sense the wonder and the amazing reality of that fact, you don't get Christmas yet. The fullness of God given to us as a gift in this child. You know, people are pursuing pleasure and desire and uh, fulfillment and riches and sex and drugs and alcohol and, and family and Christmas presents and, and, and stuff like the car and the, and, and the boat and the cabin and all these things that in the end always wind up being empty. And yet here in Jesus Christ, God is giving us the fullness of all that he is, all that God is in his holy, righteous, majestic nature. It's handed over to us in Jesus. God in all his fullness, given as a gift. You know, it's amazing that, that in this child, the fullness of God would be joined together with the fullness of our humanity. 
There's this, this forever establishing this holy union between God and man that is, that is as eternal and unbreakable as is the Son who forged that union. So you find, you find in Jesus this wedding together of God and humanity in a way where, where God can no longer reject us and we can no longer, or at least we ought not any longer, reject God. This is the glory of Christmas Day and the gift that we worship together. The gift of God and all his fullness has arrived. And he's given it to us in the gift of Jesus Christ, the Son. No more, no more guessing. No more trying to figure out what God is like and who he is and what he expects from us. It's, it's, it's right there in front of us, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased is man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. That's the glory of Christmas. So for Jesus to be our gift is for Jesus to be the fullness of God given to us. This expression of peace and love from the Father. Secondly, Isaiah 42, verse 6, picking up on this child, this son that was given. Here in Isaiah 42, verse 6, uh, or even in verse 1, it calls this child the servant of Yahweh, the servant of the Lord. So picking up on that child, it refers to him as, a, as Yahweh's servant. And verse 6 says, the Lord gives his servant. He, he gifts him to us as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. You guys understand what a covenant is? What is a covenant? A covenant is basically a binding relational agreement. It's this, it's this pact that is made between two parties. It can, be, it can be equally between two parties, or it can be one of those parties making an agreement to the other. But it's this binding relational agreement that defines the conditions upon which a relationship will be established and enjoyed. It's like marriage. We, we call marriage a, a marriage covenant because it is the binding relational agreement where one man and one woman, and, and unfortunately today I have to say one biological man and one biological woman, agree to enter into a marriage relationship in, in order to uphold certain responsibilities towards one another. That's represented in, in the vows that are given in marriage. Whenever you make those vows, you are making a covenant agreement that till my dying breath, I will fulfill these duties to you, my spouse. In a similar sense here, Yahweh's servant is given by the Lord to us to be our covenant. These are the Father's vows to the nations. This is God's vow to save people like you and me. It's the Son. He's given as the Father's pledge to us, a gift that secures and establishes a covenant relationship between a holy God and sinners like us. Where God no longer looks upon us and says, I will enter into a relationship with you once you're good enough for it. God no longer looks at us and says, I will come to you once you are good enough to come to me. No, that's not. That's not the glory of Christmas. The glory of Christmas is that Jesus has come to be that covenant for us. He is the one in whom the Father declares loud and boldly, I come to you in him. Now you come to me. We don't earn, we don't earn this place with God. This is the gift of Jesus. 
This servant was given as our covenant, the basis upon which God agrees to be in relationship with us, despite the fact that we are sinners, despite the fact that we have never upheld the law of God, we have never done anything that was pleasing in his sight in and of ourselves. Every breath we've breathed out back to God was breathed in, in, in rebellion against him. We're anarchists, and we're trying to dethrone God with every moment of our lives in ourselves. And yet God comes to us in his son and he says, in my son, I'm making peace with you. Come and receive that peace. This is my covenant with you. In this servant, God promises not to relate to us on the basis of our sins, but but graciously on the basis of this servant. Who, verse 1 says, is the one in whom the Father delights. In other words, this servant who is given as our covenant is the one who is eternally pleasing to God. The New Testament explains more fully what that means for him to be given as a covenant for us. And I just want to go through some of these verses to unpack that a little more as well. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 through 25. God explains that in the giving of this gift, the giving of his servant, this covenant on our behalf, he can serve as the basis of our relationship with God because in him, as the gift of God, God gives the free gift of justification to all sinners who will believe. In other words, Romans 3, 24, we are justified freely, really is the sense here. We are justified as a gift by his grace. You know what it means to be justified? Do you know what it means to be justified in the presence of God? It does not mean just as if I never sinned. That's only one part of it. See, justification involves one aspect of being acquitted from all the right charges that could be brought against us before the throne of God. There is a day of judgment coming when every single one of us will stand before the Lord and we will give an account of all of our lives before God. Jesus said that that judgment will be so exact that it will come down to the very words that we spoke. Every idle word, even the words we spoke in passing, the things we never think about ever again, Jesus tells us that on the day of judgment, those, even those sins are going to be brought to account. Even those words are going to be brought to account before God, and we'll have to give an answer for it. So to be, to be justified before God is, on one part of it, to have all of those wrong deeds that we've done our entire lives thrown out of court just completely dismissed before the throne of God. But that's only one part of it. The other part of it is that we are then accredited full righteousness that is in absolute harmony with the nature of God himself. So we're not only declared to be innocent of those right charges that ought to be brought against us in Christ, all those things are done away with through the blood of Jesus, but then on the other side of it, we have full righteousness of Jesus given to us as a gift. Justified. So when God looks upon us in Jesus as those who hold fast to Jesus Christ alone for all of our salvation, all of our hope and right standing before God, if we are holding fast to Jesus, God looks upon us not only as those who have never sinned, but as those who have always perfectly, totally, entirely upheld the law of God. 
This is the glory of Christmas. And I hope it's exciting to you. It should be exciting to you. If it's not, you're not saved. And I'm serious about that. If it's not, you have not yet tasted the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. Because that means the Spirit of God's not working in your heart. Justified as a gift by His grace. Now, what's the basis on which that justification comes? This verse tells us it's verse 25. It's through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom the Father displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood to be received by faith. What does it mean for Jesus to be a propitiation? It means that Jesus is a sin-removing, wrath-satisfying sacrifice. This message is not proclaimed in most churches in this nation anymore, but this is the message that saves. There is wrath coming. There is a day of justice. There is an eternal hell where sinners will go to, to make up for their sins against an eternally holy God. But in Jesus Christ, propitiation has been made. Satisfaction has been made for us through his blood. The father gave up his son. He, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones used to speak of it as publicly placarding his son on a bloody cross. Just putting him up as a billboard. Like, like putting a message up on a billboard. So the father put Jesus up on a cross declaring to the whole world the way to be saved. Through the cross of Jesus Christ. The father publicly placarded him in order that the son on the cross might become a divine payment in our place. A ransom price paid to the justice of God in order to secure for all of us free justification in his presence. That's just wonderful, wonderful news. And that, that's how God can say, I'm going to give him as a covenant for you. I'm going to give him as my vow and my pledge to receive and welcome you into my glory because it's all about him and it's not about you. It's based entirely on Jesus Christ. You know, just in every, in every sinner that's saved, you know what the Father is doing? He's not giving a gift to someone who earned it. He's not giving a gift to someone who <laughs> was somehow good enough to receive his son. In every sinner that's saved, the Father is magnifying the great worth and glory of his Son. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. The sooner you can get that, the more fully you're going to worship God in Jesus Christ for what he's done. You're going to join the Father in making everything about Jesus. Just another verse. We'll run through these quickly, but Romans 5.17 Relating to what we just saw in Romans 3, Jesus is the gift of God because in him we are given the gift of righteousness. Right? Just as I explained a moment ago that Jesus for the believer not only becomes the means by which sin is removed, but he is also the means by which full and complete righteousness is granted. He's the source, in other words, of full righteousness, full conformity to the perfect and holy law of God that is given to us by the Father, not to those who could somehow earn it, but to those who freely receive it by faith in clinging to the Son. 
Right? That's that divine transference, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, God the Father, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that what? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now that language is so glorious. It's not just that we would become righteous in him. It's that we would become the righteousness of God in him. So perfectly conformed to the very nature of our holy God. That it can only be described as God's righteousness given to us in Jesus. So Jesus is our gift because in Jesus the Father has provided the gift of righteousness. Full full conformity to his law. Romans 8.32, Jesus is our gift because... In his being delivered over to die in our place, the Father was declaring to all the world that any other blessing that he desires to give sinners is provided in his Son. He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? Freely give us all things. This is why Jesus can tell us in Matthew chapter 6, 33, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. All the nations of the world worry about those things. Don't set your mind on money. Don't set your mind on achievement and status and recognition and all the things related to the pride of the flesh. Throw all that out and do this. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness first and all else will be added to you. It's about priorities. If Jesus is your number one priority, then the Father is very pleased and happy to provide everything else that you need. It may not be everything else you want, but it'll be everything that you need to live a holy and godly life for the sake of Jesus Christ. The Son is a gift for us because in Him, the Father has vowed, He has agreed, He has displayed His willingness to freely give us all other things. This is really summed up in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. What does it mean for the Son to be given by the Father as a gift? Well, these verses describe it as the gift of full and complete salvation. Anything that is, that is entailed in salvation itself is provided for us in Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. When John chapter 4 verse 10 speaks of Jesus as the gift of God, it is referring to Jesus as God's gift of full and free salvation. The good news of full reconciliation to the Father, not according to our works or according to anything that we have done, but according to the glory of his redeeming love and his free grace put on display in Jesus. My friend, any good thing, that God has to give to you and me flows to us exclusively through Jesus Christ. Flows to us exclusively through the gift of this God-man born to us over 2,000 years ago. Right? Unlike that sweater that someone may have given you for Christmas that you can't wait to exchange for something else. I had a grandma who loved me very much and she wanted me to stay warm. All right? I get it. But unlike that sweater, there are no exchange policies to this gift. You either receive it or you don't. You either take in all that Jesus is for you as the gift from the Father or you re- and, and, and live 
and, and come to glory with God, you either receive Jesus for all he is for you, or you reject him and you perish in your sin. Those are the simple demands of the gospel. That is the simple proclamation of the Father given to us through his Son. You either receive the Son, you kiss the Son, you bow to the Son, you hold fast to the Son. You trust in him to save you, or you get nothing except what you deserve. That leads us to our second point, which will be maybe a little quicker. I don't want to hold you guys too long on Christmas morning. Yeah. I, I woke up excited this morning for the first time. I, I, want to, I want to tell you this. For the first time in a long time, I woke up excited about Christmas. You guys know what it's like. You lose the excitement of Christmas. It just doesn't, it's like it doesn't mean what it used to mean. Something was lost. You know that, oh, I hate this song, but you know the song, Where are you, Christmas? <laughs> Why can't I find you? I always want to say it's because you're looking in the wrong place. <laughs> but you know, you, know, you know the sentiment there. You know what it's like where Christmas just seems to come and go and there's, there's no real impact. It's like, what is this all about? Well, this morning I woke up for the first time in a long time. Uh, worshiping Christ. Worshiping Christ for Christmas. And, uh, so I, I'm excited and I... I feel like I could go on and on to this morning. I'll try not to do that to you. Second main point. Notice something else about this gift in John 4.10. This gift of Jesus truly is a gift. Truly is a gift. You know, what, is a, a, what does the word gift mean? Astoundingly. You might be shocked to know that gift actually literally means in the Greek, gift. <laughs> Doreo. It's that which was freely given without payment and without reason. That which was freely given without payment and without reason. No cause. It's the same word that the Lord uses in John, I think it's John 15, to say that they hated him without a cause. They hated him freely. He gave, he gave humanity no reason to hate him. They hated him freely. He, they, he didn't have to do anything to make them hate him. It's just who he is. That's what mankind hates. Well, in that same way, but on the flip side, this gift of Jesus, this gift of the Father to the world, is truly a gift. It's something given without cause. Jesus emphasizes that in four, four times between John 4.10 and John 4.14. Just read it and you can see it starts with just that acknowledgement that if you knew the gift of God, right? If you knew this freely given uh, gift, this, this thing that the Father has provided for you, then you would have asked him and he would have done what? He would have given you living water. Give it to you. Verse 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. The water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. See, Jesus is the gift of the Father, and through Jesus, all other gifts flow to us. But they're all gifts. The Word of God is so clear on this. The gift of Jesus Christ is not something that we can earn. I probably have already preached this this morning, but I'll preach it again. 
Jesus is not God's reward for your merit. The gift of Jesus is not the hope of forgiveness of sins and fellowship with God and imputed righteousness and everlasting, unshakable peace with the Father. The gift of Jesus is not any of those things for those who can become good enough to earn it. Jesus is not the Father's gift of a second chance to get it right. Jesus is not the gift of the Father providing for us a new and relaxed set of rules that make it more easy for us to obey the Father and earn His favor. Jesus is not God's attempt to lower the bar of acceptance so that those of us who work hard enough just might make it to eternal glory with the Father. That's Roman Catholicism. That's not biblical Christianity. That message about Jesus is not good news. And there is certainly not anything in that message about Jesus that can be called a gift from God. That's the way that the human mind imagines a relationship with God to work, right? That's how every other religion, every single other religion on the face of the planet views its own standing before God. You work hard enough, you become a good person, you make yourself acceptable, and God will accept you, or the gods will be happy with you. That's not biblical Christianity. Hinduism, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Islam, moralism, just being a moral, upright person, spiritualism. Roman Catholicism, or even the newest one to the list, wokeism, right? critical race theory nonsense. All of that is a separate religion that is being introduced to the mind of humanity. Based upon works, based upon earning something. All of these things do nothing but present a false hope of empty, useless proclamations of how a person can find and know God. Or be right with one another. But you know, the only water that's at the bottom of those wells is the water of wages. The water of earnings, the water of what you deserve. That's the only water that you and I can draw or pump out of the ground of our own merit and our own efforts. Romans 4.4, 4, it says that the one who works, his wage is not counted to him as a gift, as grace, but rather as what is due. It's what is earned, what is merited. If you try, in other words, if you try to work for God's blessings, then God will not treat you on the basis of grace. He will treat you on the basis of your works, and he will compare you to the ultimate standard, which is what? You said perfection. Perfection. Who defines what perfection is? The very nature of God. So you either have to measure up to the holiness and righteousness of the perfect nature of God, or you fall short. It doesn't matter how many other laws of God you've tried to keep or how many you think you've kept successfully. Remember the rich young ruler, he came to Jesus and he said, look, I've kept the Ten Commandments from my youth. What else is there to do? It's not about keeping the law. Some of us think that because we haven't lied or cheated, and that's a lie in itself. We've all lied. Right? But let's just, for the sake of argument, some of us think that because we haven't lied, we haven't murdered, we haven't physically committed adultery with anybody, we haven't struck our parents, we're not out trying to steal our neighbor's property. We think that because we haven't done those things, somehow that makes us good in God's sight. 
As if God's going to accept that and call that good on the day of judgment. That's not an equal exchange. You can't offer that to God and expect to receive Him as your reward. James 2.10, it tells us that whoever keeps the whole law of God and yet stumbles at one point has become guilty of breaking it all. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. Let's stop trying to deceive ourselves into thinking that we are a bunch of good people. We're not. We're not. You are a wretch, and I'm a wretch too. Let's get real and stop deceiving ourselves. The essence of God's law boils down to this, that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, not our intentions and hopes and desires. It's not about your intentions before God. It's about whether you actually do love him, whether you love him with your entire being. None of us have done that. None of us have done that. So if we try to approach God, even in the name of Jesus, on the basis of our works, Romans 6.23 tells us that we will find at the bottom of that well the wages of sin, which is death. That's the reward for our own efforts, death. But you notice in that verse, the gift of God is what? It's eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, God's gifts are not earned. They are given and they are received, but they cannot be earned. You guys still with me? All right. Just a little bit longer. Imagine that if for Christmas you gave a, your child or a friend or a family member a picture of an item wrapped up, right? And this person opens up that present and there's this picture of an item with instructions next to it. And those instructions say to this person, you know, I bought this gift for you. This represented on this picture. I bought this gift for you. And now I will give it to you. If you do X, Y, and Z, I'll be more than happy to have it, have it sent over to your place. Wrap up a picture of a gift with instructions. Say, I bought this for you. It's at my house. It's waiting for you. Now you go do X, Y, and Z, and then I'll give it to you. No matter how much you, you spent on that item, no matter how willing you might be to give that item to that person after he or she accomplishes what you expect that person to accomplish, the reality is that can never be termed as a gift. It will always be something that was earned. Now, a lot of people think about the gift of Jesus like that. That the Father has provided full salvation and all the blessings of the life with him for us in Jesus. And now we just need to do this command or we need to obey that command. And we need to show God that we are among those who can deserve his gift. Well, if that's your understanding of the Christian life, my friend, you have perverted the gospel. And you have cut yourself off from the hope of Christ. You have fallen from grace, you who would be justified by works. The Father gave His Son not as a reward or a prize to be earned, but as a free gift of His grace to be received. It's never about how much you, you do to earn Jesus. It's not like, here's Jesus, now do something that coerces God in order to let you have Him. You know, the news of the Bible, the message of the Bible is that we never can do anything to earn Jesus. We can't do enough good to have Him. On our own. He's worth far more than what you and I can offer in an infinity of, of infinities. 
the good news of Christmas is that it reminds us with loud symbols and glorious angelic singing that the grace of God and Jesus Christ is a gift, a gift that is simply to be received. Let me move to the third point. We're going to end here. Not only is Jesus Christ himself the gift of the Father given to us on that first Christmas day, not only is he actually truly a gift, but he is a gift that must be recognized and received. John 4.10, Jesus speaks of himself as the gift of God. Now let me, as we close and end on this, let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus as God's gift to you? If you want to know, if you want to recognize you're standing before God and you want to know whether Christmas is having the impact on you that it should, then you simply need to ask yourself, how do I view Jesus? What is Jesus to you? Now, this is where we're ending. I'm asking you to to pay attention. What is Jesus to you? Answer that honestly. I remember in, in, in fifth grade, the Gideons. Remember when the Gideons used to be allowed to pass out New Testaments in schools? Yeah, public schools. I remember in fifth grade getting my, my red little Gideons New Testament. In King James English, I could barely read it, right? I could barely read anyway, but I could barely read it. I remember someone next to me grabbed that, or grabbed that New Testament and kissed it and stuck it in his back pocket and he says, yeah, now I've got my expletive, expletive Bible. I'm good to go. Like it's some kind of good luck charm or something. That doesn't show a high regard for the majesty of God or the glory of Jesus or the holiness of the gospel. What is Jesus to you? Is he just a a good luck charm for your life? Is he something that you you add on top of your already perfectly made Sunday of life? He's just that cherry that's added on top to sweeten the deal and make it all look good. Or is your entire life consumed by Jesus? Right To to stay with the analogy, is Jesus the Sunday (laughs) and the cherry? Or is your life the Sunday and Jesus is just the cherry? What is Jesus to you? Is he a good teacher? Is he a wise man? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Is he Lord? C.S. Lewis. Is he irrelevant to you? Is he unimportant to you? Or is he precious to you? Are you drawn to Jesus because you've been made by the Spirit of God to see His glory and you've been changed forever? You've caught a glimpse of something in Jesus and now you can't rest with these lesser things of the world until you get more of what you saw in Him. You've come to the well that truly satisfies. You've tasted it. You've known the life of God in your own soul. And now you're left pining and yearning, not for some other well. You've already found the well. The well is Jesus. Now you're left longing and yearning for more of Jesus. 
Matthew Henry said of Jesus Christ that he is the gift of God, the richest token of the Father's love to us. Has your soul tasted that truth? Jesus is the richest token of the Father's love to me. Through the good news of Jesus Christ, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? The good news of Christmas is that Christ, as the Father's gift of grace to the world, has already been given. Has the Holy Spirit awakened you yet to see that gift for what he is and who he is? And out of that spiritual illumination, have you been compelled to come and to receive him as the Father's gift? It's not just enough to recognize who Jesus is. It's not enough to know that he is Lord. It's not enough to even know the truth about the gospel. You have to actually come to him and you have to have personal dealings with this Jesus Christ. You have to imbibe him. You, you know, when you drink water, you know, you take water in a cup. Do I have any? We're, I don't have any water today. But when you drink water, you are appropriating that water. You're bringing it, you're ingesting it. And that water actually becomes part of who you are, Right? It enters into your your system. It circulates throughout your body. It's part of you. Has Jesus become that to you? And would other people recognize that Jesus is that to you? It's not enough just to recognize Jesus. You must receive him. You must recognize the truth about him and then come to him asking him to bless you with all the gifts that the Father wants to give you through him. And my friend, his promise to this woman and his promise to us all is that if we in faith will come and ask him for this gift of all that he is, he will give us his fullness and he will allow us to taste of his living water. Christmas is a celebration of the ultimate gift, the father's gift of his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This gift leaves no room for us to doubt the Father's love. It leaves no room for us to look for that love in some other place, some other well. Jesus Christ is the Father's gift of love, freely given to all with whom he is well pleased. And he is well pleased with any and everyone who will come and drink at the hand of his Son. So my friend, more satisfying than any of the presents that you will receive this Christmas day, we have been given the gift of Jesus Christ and I urge you as his ambassador to come and receive him. Come to Jesus. Receive him this Christmas day. I don't care if you're a believer or an unbeliever. The call of the gospel goes out to all of you equally. Come and drink of the fullness of God at the hand of Jesus Christ. Come receive the greatness of this gift, the rich blessing of his grace. Drink of this water and live. Don't be guilty of spurning this gift. Don't be guilty of thinking lightly of this gift. In him, the Father has given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and he intends to bless us with all of those spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ our Lord. So come to him, my friends. Come to him and receive him for the first time or receive him anew for the, for the thousandth time. Let's come together to Christ and satisfy our souls with this Christmas gift that the Father has given to us. Amen. Let's pray together. 
Father, I thank you for this great gift that Jesus has become for us. He is the fullness of God given to us, displayed so that we can see who you are when we look to Jesus. He is that covenant, that basis of our full, full basis of our relationship with you, Lord. He is the means of our justification. He's the means of our peace with you. He is our righteousness. Lord, I pray that this Christmas day, we would revel and rejoice in that great gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, you help us now as we sing our closing hymn to lift up hearts of praise and lips of praise to you, to reflect back to you a true adoration for who you are and a true thankfulness for this gift that you've given at such a cost in your beloved son. Thank you for his blood. Thank you for his resurrection. Thank you for his ascension. In this Christmas season, Lord, we remind ourselves that we are waiting for his return. So come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Merry Christmas to all of you again. And uh, I'll say it to you again if I see you again. But uh, you receive the benediction from Numbers chapter 6. Verses 23 through 26. Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel, and you will say to them, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace that was manifested in the birth of this child. May he keep you in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas.